0: Hello, listeners. Jordan here. I just want to let you know that you can listen to Nighttime early and ad free on Amazon Music, include it with Prime.
1: This episode is brought to you by ABC. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. Andy finally becomes captain, and she's going to give it her all to be the best leader this station has ever seen. Will she succeed? Get ready for fiery new romances and high-adrenaline rescues. Watch the Station 19 season premiere tonight at a new time, ten nine Central on ABC and stream on Hulu. You are
2: listening to The Nighttime Podcast.
0: Hello, listeners, and welcome back to Nighttime's Sunday Night Show. If you're new here, I'm Jordan Bonaparte, and The Sunday Night Show is a discussion series in which I'm joined by investigative journalist Paul Polango and defense lawyer and legal analyst Adam Rogers. The topics we discuss are generally developing stories of Canadian crime, corruption, and controversial topics of public interest. During this week's episode, which was recorded on February 25th of 2024, we discuss the story of James Bragg, who may be Toronto's horniest cop. We react to the recent day parole eligibility of infamous serial killer and pig farmer Robert Picton, and we'll weigh in on what may or may not be a motor vehicle collision involving a Toronto police officer. So let's get into it. Mr. Adam Rogers, Mr. Paul Palango, We've been away for a few weeks, but oh my goodness, I'm excited for tonight. Normally I would jump right into talking about the stories, but few things will kind of derail me and slow things down. If one of you had, I don't know, the the birth of a new child, maybe would be an example of something that I would just stop the presses and talk about. But another one is i guess uh, a political run by one of the co-hosts of the show uh so adam i watched a video on youtube that you published i think just maybe it was yesterday and it sure seems to indicate that we should stop the show and talk for a second what's
1: going on over there <laughs> yeah there's uh well we don't know what the timing's going to be like jordan but there's going to be a federal election coming up could be in the next few months most likely either the fall or or even next year but People are starting to get out and declare themselves as candidates, and nomination battles are coming out. So it's it's starting to ramp up. Uh, so I've made a, an, a, an announcement, sort of an invitation to you know people to get involved, and uh, getting lots of encouragement to to be a candidate. And so now I've I've put my name out there. And said listen. I'm willing to put in the work, take on the responsibility, uh, do everything that needs to be done to do a good job of it, to win the race, uh, to do a good job representing people. Uh, so let's get to it. So that's the uh, that was sort of the video. It was like just all right, put in this marker out here. Uh, i'm I'm gonna do it whenever it comes, and uh, let's let's get to work
0: uh well that's yeah, exciting we're excited for you and i'm sure we're gonna hear more about this as uh I don't, I don't know like i'm excited for you but at the same time i fear for our country when the next election starts like i i can't imagine anything else to divide our nation at this point so it's i i'm a little bit scared for it
1: like social cohesion doesn't seem to be intact like it used to be and so yeah an election something like this can be a flashpoint and and you know be an issue Hopefully not. Uh, We'll try to bring people together, but yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be different. Every election now is different. Paul Palango, I have an interesting story for you to start,
0: and then we can ask you what you're up to. Uh, Of all places I was at today that I saw you, I was at Toys R Us with my children in uh, Dartmouth Crossing, uh, just outside of Halifax. Big Toys R Us were there looking at toys, of course. And right across the aisle from all the Barbie dolls, what do I see but a rack of, paul polango 22 murder books at <laughs> toys r us and i'm talking 15 of them uh good for them uh you know why though it's 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 kind of odd you've heard of hmv it used to be like yeah. a record store yeah. i guess hmv died but now it has become like or it's becoming like a section in select toys r us so they're going to have like a corner of the store that's going to be called like you know the hmv or something and it's a bunch of when i was there today they were setting it up there's like cds and records. In books that are more adult-oriented, but again, a big section of Paul polengo I was surprised to see you there.
3: Oh, you know that that'll get me up to about one hundred and sixty dollars. Uh, <laughs> yeah,
0: there you go. Popular
1: among the kids.
0: <laughs> oh, um. Well, you you were literally between Lego and Barbie. Right there was Paul polengo <laughs> Oh jeez. <laughs> uh, so what's new with you, Paul? What's I,
3: up? Maybe I could be sort of the world's oldest ugly Ken. I don't know. Could be. Yeah, yeah,
0: okay. uh, what's new with you
3: paul what's new um over the last couple of weeks i've had uh it's funny we're selling the book but you know this may come as a shock to you we have some people who don't like me no well, yeah it's i do my best to be an honest broker and to tell the truth and and be fair and stuff like this but I was lambasted by one of our um, social justice warriors recently because I used the word marijuana rather than cannabis, mm-hmm. which means I'm old fashioned, out of touch, and it's racist to say marijuana.
0: It is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah I, I've been schooled on that one. There you are. Uh, I think cannabis just sounds stupid even marijuana sounds a little
3: like well Well, marijuana has some color to it you know it's like uh and people grew up with that and that's what it was called for hundreds of years you know that it's not people prefer that cannabis is the technical term we're going to take everything all the life out of it we're going to take close all the bars stop all the smoking take the life out of life take the color out of life
1: Hmm.
3: and make everything perfect This is the quality of criticism we're getting here. Yeah. <laughs> but on um, social media and social media, it's a big thing, I guess, which
0: is why I avoid it. Well, let's get into it. We got to as much as I'd like to hear about uh, the people who don't like you, Paul. Um, we got other things to talk about. <laughs> Some do we have are less exciting to talk about, though, right?
1: By the way, Paul, the term mar- like the word "marijuana" is used in the Controlled Drugs and Substances Act. Like cannabis is the sort of the more racist, racist. Well, we also <laughs> have in Canada, don't we? Have the Indian Act still? Yeah, true, but it's uh, it's used in you know in legal documents and legal circles, and it's not <laughs> it hasn't that hasn't per- permeated the uh, the
0: establishment. If that's the case, I still call it grass. I'll never forget the time my dad like cornered me when I was like 16 to confront me about smelling like grass. Like <laughs> uh, The best one, the best one of that on that vein, in that vein is my mother
3: and my younger brother, Dave, when he was younger, my mother was banging on his door, the bedroom door and he had a lock. What are you doing in there? And he says, nothing. He says, I know what you're doing. You're in there drinking marijuana. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um,
3: he was a little out of touch on that.
0: Let's get into it. We got a story that I've... This has come across my desk about a week ago. A listener of the show sent it to me saying, you got to get everybody's takes on this. I've been dying to talk to you both about the story of... I like coming up with names. I don't know if I wanna go with the most unhinged cop in Toronto, or if I'm gonna call this fella the horniest cop in Toronto. But this is the story of a Toronto police officer named Constable James Bragg, who's currently facing disciplinary action after he allegedly watched pornography with a colleague while on duty, chased and slapped a female colleagues behind and made sexually charged comments towards another. Here's the story of the man who may be Toronto's horniest cop.
4: I'm Aaron Habel of Generation Y, and with me is Jack Luna of Dark Topic. We'd like to introduce you to Marooned, a new podcast that's sure to capture your attention. Tales of the catastrophically lost are what we have to offer. Hikers swallowed by the woods. Explorers discovering nothing but destitution. True crime calamity. Oddities of harrowing human experience. It's a museum of misadventure. So pack a lunch. Subscribe to Marooned wherever you find podcasts. We are waiting. Please hurry. Thank you. It was during a traffic stop outside Toronto Police's 52 Division last March where Constable James Bragg showed another officer a picture of a naked woman on his cell phone and asked him if he liked it, according to allegations filed at the Toronto Police's Discipline Tribunal. A few months before Bragg was working with another officer called PCY. This document says while PCY was utilizing the workstation of the scout car, you were seated in the passenger seat and watching pornography on your personal cell phone. Something that made PCY uncomfortable because you were the senior officer. And walking to a karaoke bar in March, the document says Bragg is alleged to have kicked another officer, PCX, and then slapped her buttocks with your hand. PCX jumped down from the piggyback and began to run. And you chased after her using grabbing motions with your hands It was only when another member of your platoon Yelled at you to stop that you finally stopped all of it amounting to four disciplinary charges of discreditable conduct and one of breaking the TPS's code of conduct. The fact that it's still
3: occurring it is troubling and
4: also- Lawyer Angelo Shaka who has represented complainants in other cases says the allegations come a year and a half after the force acknowledged in a report it had a systemic problem on its hands when it came to sexual harassment at work.
3: There's a culture in policing that really has not changed um, and a culture that's been pervasive for for
4: quite a bit of time. Bragg's lawyer says nothing has been proven on his case. We'll be fully
0: addressing it in the tribunal.
4: Shaka says how Bragg's case proceeds will say a lot about the Toronto Police's culture today. You know, Palango I want to pass it to you right off the bat here, because
0: I know um, the quality of law enforcement officers being recruited by the force, the culture of policing, these are all topics you've been talking about for years. But this story stands out to me as especially bad and shocking in probably one of the cringiest ways. What's your take on this?
3: Why, why are you shocked? We have normalized pornography in society over the last 25, 30 years. So every kid has grown up with pornography. They don't know what real sex is anymore. They live in a fantasy world. And this is a guy who comes from that world. Mm. So we've condoned it because this is a healthy approach to life.
0: So what is your concern? In the middle of a traffic stop, one officer shows the other officer a naked, like, you know, porn on their phone, like, and says, do you like that? Like, it's just shocking.
3: Oh, absolutely. I'm being facetious. I'm being facetious, but absolutely. But, you know, societally, we basically, well, we don't want to have any restrictions on this. Then we have cops who are doing it, who have no bearing, no moral bearing whatsoever. They've lost their moral bearings. They've lost their ethical bearings. Not all of them, but enough of them. Mm -hmm. And as I've said before, we know they're hiring doorknobs because they need a body, Uh, you know, people who would not get through the door in the past. And this is what happens. So Mm -hmm. it's a perpetuating cycle. The more things go wrong and the more you beat up on them, the less attractive it comes to be a police officer and the lower the quality of the police officers you get. So Mm -hmm. uh, this is what we're getting. This is what society seems to want. So I don't know what the complaint is.
0: Yeah. And although at this point, it seems like his actions have caught up to him. Although he at this point, he is suspended with pay. He has another hearing in late March. So we'll see what happens then. But there, when you read and hear the allegations against this guy, it wasn't just one or two. like There was kind of multiple incidents, including one where um, one of the quote. I'm just reading a, a short quote from uh, the recent hearing is... Uh, Another, they're referring to another officer. Another officer asked you to stop showing them pornography on your phone and to act professionally. They had to remind you that the body-worn cameras were recording everything and had captured the image on your phone. So it's at the point where, like, other officers are like, "What are you? You know, what are you doing? Putting oh, that no, away?
3: It, it's terrible. It's it's a terrible thing. Uh, and you know, you think they'd have more discretion and more a sense of, uh, uh, you know, more a sense of honor and integrity, but." You know, the world is
0: uh, unfortunately filled with these people and some of them are police officers. Yeah, just that, that position to trust where this, this cop who's just looking at porn on his phone, referring to women in this awful way. In one case, uh, he said about a woman who was passing by to like the other guy in the car with him is he said, look at the mams on her. That's a quote. So that just gives you a sense of the kind of guy this is in that position of authority. With the badge, with the gun, with the car, ah, it it's disgusting to me. Uh, not surprised, but very disappointed. What's your take on this, Adam Rogers?
1: Well, one of the things that started, stood out to me is how easy the discipline has been on this guy. You know, he had a, a report in 2012. It said in the article where basically the report questioned his suitability to be an officer. So that's you know more than 10 years ago, and. Then he has all these other allegations. He's suspended with pay. It's, uh, you know, it's sort of generous in a way. The other thing that kind of caught my attention was the, the, the modified willingness to report. Like, it seems like there, there's more people, like, you know, everybody's been around these work sites or situations where these sort of louts or whatever's are saying an off, you know, a, a off-color joke. It makes people uncomfortable, all these things. It's like, well... That's just going to be around forever, I guess. Well, maybe not. People seem to be reporting. But the example you point to there with the body-worn camera, like some of this reporting is a little performative in itself because the guy's like, well, it's going to show up with the body-worn camera. I'm here next to you. The report's going to show that I was here next to you. What did I do? I better do and say something because I know that this is going to be the subject of a future review. And anyway, I think everybody sort of cycles through that Uh, mindset a little bit too when they know things are being tracked with police it should be tracked I think I'm a firm believer
0: they should have cameras on the entire time there should be a camera in their car like uh, just the position they're in with the public I think it it needs to be uh surveilled and they need to be you know on their best behavior no watching pornography in the middle of a traffic stop this is insanity. It's
1: it's such a weird thing to do uh anyway but it looks like it also shows the shrinking of private space, right? I mean, years ago, this would have been a private conversation, would have never, ever gone anywhere.
2: Mm-hmm. Now
1: it now it's so much more public in every single way, right? And so what's going to happen? Are these people going to reform that are in this way? Or are they going to, you know, is there going to be a pushback of some sort? I don't know. I'd be interested to see uh, what the what the reaction is going to be to this
0: yeah well something's got to give the culture has to not even just culture and policing culture in general is changing with a lot of things and this is certainly going to be one of them but this guy uh, i don't know i I, will he keep his job like is this something you can apologize for and maybe they give you some job that doesn't involve the ability to you know have your phone watching porn while you're working like a
1: desk job i guess yeah he would have to pass and demonstrate uh a a reformed nature after some intense counseling of some sort, I would think, you know, if he wants to keep his job, you'd think he would have done that by now. Mm,
0: That's a good point. Uh, Anything else on this, Paul, before we got another story about the Toronto police? No. Okay. Uh, This one is interesting. Another story played out last week about the same police force, the Toronto police, This one's unique, though. It involves a traffic collision and the complaint of a woman. Uh, A Toronto woman is unimpressed after a Toronto police car quickly turned and ran into her while she was crossing the street. So the woman was a pedestrian crossing the street. Cop car comes around the corner and hits her. Uh, She complains to the Toronto police uh, about the actions of the cop driving the vehicle. Uh, But they, the Toronto police, deemed it not to be a collision despite... Video evidence showing that it in fact is I'll play it uh, a short clip about it and then we'll talk about it. Toronto woman is speaking out tonight after she was hit by a police cruiser but police claim it wasn't actually a collision.
4: And I see the police car out of the corner of my eye and just kind of braced myself. Watching this video is still unsettling for Rachel Wharton. The Torontonian was walking to work in January when she crossed Dufferin Street. Dashcam video shows a police car turning and then it strikes her knocking her phone out of her hand and startling her. Scared, a little shocked um, and then kind of angry. Uh, because I, like, as a pedestrian, had the right of way. She says the driver asked her if she was okay, she had some choice words for him, and then he kept driving without giving her any contact information. I realized how lucky I really was because he was going fast around that corner, and he obviously saw me at the last second. She got the video from a driver on the spot and made a complaint with the Toronto Police. She said a detective phoned her recently and told her there would be no ticket. The reasoning, she says, was that there was no collision that resulted in an injury. The Toronto police says its officer stopped before a collision occurred with the pedestrian who grabbed the push bars on the front of the vehicle. The incident was investigated and seeing as the contact resulted in no injuries and or damage, this incident did not meet the definition of a collision as defined by the Highway Traffic Act. The incident may have understandably startled the pedestrian for which the officer apologized. However, this was not a collision and the pedestrian was not hit by a police car. Lawyer David Shelnut says that definition may work for insurance purposes, but not for public safety. In this case, there is contact, but now they're saying that it's not a collision. Uh, so it it's really seems like the law is up to the TPS's own interpretation. Driving safety at the TPS has been in the spotlight after CTV News obtained data on over 1,000 automated tickets received by police vehicles. Another turning police car hit a cyclist on Bloor Street earlier this month, causing him serious injury. Wharton says she's worried a recent bump in the police budget could lead to more vehicles on patrol and more crashes. These are the, the police officers that are supposed to protect us and um, just driving very carelessly. She wants some of their new money to go to driver training. So the collision that wasn't a collision isn't likely to go any further. Wharton says she's not interested in making any more complaints. She says she knows what happened to her and believes that video backs her up.
0: You just imagine for one second, if that's a police officer crossing the street in the crosswalk and I zip around the corner and bump into the cop and he drops his phone the way that that woman did, I guarantee that I would have hell to pay. But they just want nothing to do with this. They, They issue a statement and they're they're done with it. And it seems like she's already beat her head against the wall enough and she's done with her complaint as well. Uh. Maybe let's get the legal take on this first, Adam Rogers. Uh, she contacts you, a lawyer, and she's pissed about this. What do you would you take a case like this? And if so, what would
1: you know? What would you even do? I thought it was funny that they said it was. Uh, they're looking for a bump in the police budget. <laughs> <That> was, uh, <laughs> given the context of it all, uh, no, of course she doesn't have a case. I mean, just because a car and a, a person uh, slam into each other, doesn't mean there's a collision. <laughs> Like how is, I mean, it stretches it stretches the boundaries of of credulity and all these things like how does what are they trying to say that she collided like what did she lean into them like how is this well, not collision the car was driving she was walking and then they ended up in contact with one another yeah
0: And it's and clearly she got bumped like you watch it she got bumped pretty good. Uh, In in their statement, it it seems to suggest that it was like a a close call and she grabbed the push bar on the front of the car. Is kind of like the it it seems to be what their statement suggests, but that's not what the video shows. They would have a much easier argument if there wasn't this video that clearly shows it. Could it not just be a conviction like you know
1: fail to yield to a passenger or to a pedestrian or something? It's well, that was the other part of the story that caught my attention. so they talk. With these thousand automated tickets you know automated for not going stopping at a stop sign or speeding all these things that are just <laughs> sent out they take a photo of your your drivers or sorry, your license plate i wonder how many tickets are actually given out by officers to other officers you know like in a situation like this you know clearly uh she she was hit by the car like they, i think they're trying to claim yeah that she just sort of grabbed onto the bars and Anyway, yes, she so she would have a, certainly a strong case as far as liability goes. Now, whether she suffered any damages, the phone if it's broken they should replace it. But if she's not injured otherwise. Uh, it would be a pretty small case. Worst case for the for them would be you know they pay a convict a traffic
0: fine for failure to yield or something like that. But if her phone was yeah. damaged, I think she'd have a case uh, to go after so. them. For
1: yeah, that. yeah, certainly. I mean, if, and of course, if she had she been injured. In the course of this uh she would definitely have a case against the police and they would be very quickly looking to settle i think uh paul do you think this is an ugly look for the toronto
0: police to you know the way they're handling this is this really a story
1: <laughs> i think it you is know, a story because George, i, I think it, it jordan, shows...
3: jordan i was what i watched the clip mm-hmm. ctv news said our top story tonight <laughs> this is their top story And let's get to the facts of their own story. Quote, from their own story, Mm -hmm. the officer rolled down the window to apologize, asked if she was okay and if she wanted him to pull over. The pedestrian said no and continued walking. She reported the incident nine days later. Nine days. Mm -hmm. The incident was investigated, no injuries. Uh, it wasn't an accident as defined by the traffic highway traffic act. Okay. It's not a story. It's a, it's a fender bender, a mishap. She was, it was a dark jury day in downtown Toronto. Uh, the, we don't know why the policeman was in a hurry. If he was rushing somewhere and then, you know, and she's telling us in her, you know, vocal fry voice <laughs> that, uh, you know, there are, going to have more police on the street and it's going to be more dangerous get a and life <laughs> jesus
0: you, you left out the part though where she uh had choice words for him do you think she told this guy to f off or something
3: i don't know it wasn't in the story that you're using as a as the basis for this okay. it's not a
1: story <laughs> Why would she take nine days? The other thing, of course, if the phone was knocked out of her hand, then the phone was in her hand as she That's was crossing right. the crosswalk. Ooh, <laughs> damn. When I there's looked a at the video, I talking. was going
3: to get to that. When I was watching the video, it's only a brief clip, but to me, it looked like she was looking down at the phone crossing the street and not paying attention.
0: Mm, and people do that all the time. Actually, I'm guilty of it sometimes.
3: She was walking with her head down from what I could see. It had her phone down low. And uh, that's what happens. We've talked about it before, about pedestrians getting hit. They're not paying attention. You know, we don't know what that policeman was doing, where they were going, all that was going on in their car. It's a tough job. It's a, it, There's a lot going on at any one time. You've got to multitask. And when you got someone coming back nine days later saying, it wasn't right. They've got to slow down, and we don't want more police cars on the street. They should have driver training, Well, you get in a car and try and do their job.
0: You've you've swayed <laughs> me. Um, I didn't realize the passage of time from her complaint. I read the whole story. I do the headline, and then maybe the video. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm just gonna, I'm going to assume this guy was watching porn. Let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> or being um, shown it by his partner, you know. Let's move on to one that. Well, actually, I'm curious, Paul, if you think this is going to be a big nothing, because this is another story that has uh, generated discussion all across the country. I'm seeing some people say this is a huge deal that we all need to pay attention to. And some people say that this is nothing and simply a um, just an uncomfortable step in a, in a process. Uh, I'm talking about the day parole eligibility of infamous Canadian serial killer robert picton people will know him as the pig farmer serial killer uh he, he is now he, he's got a life sentence but just last week it came out that he is now eligible to apply for day parole i'm going to play a short clip as well that'll give us some of the basics of this story and then we can get into it
2: stephanie lane was just 20 years old when she vanished in 1997. i missed her i can't even fathom that. um she would be turning 48. Her DNA found at the Porcoquillan pig farm of Robert Picton.
4: I've been living in hell. It's been horrible. I always say that I am living in a Stephen King novel.
2: Lane's mom, Michelle Pinot, was among those who attended a vigil at the former farm Wednesday night.
4: Don't you not walk on this earth. He doesn't deserve to take one step out of where he is.
2: Picton was charged with murdering 26 women and convicted on six counts of second-degree murder in 2007. He's now eligible to apply for day parole, though no hearing has been scheduled.
1: I'd like to
0: think that the most prolific and evil serial killer in the history of our country that did the most egregious acts imaginable ever would never be eligible for parole. Uh, And I don't think it's likely. But I have also seen people that shouldn't get out on parole released, so you never really know.
2: The federal conservative leader posting that monsters like Picton should never be released and that mass murderers should face consecutive sentences.
0: There should be specific cases, well-defined, where there would be sentences handed down that are consecutive and there's never an opportunity for parole for certain people.
2: Parole board hearings are not automatic. Picton would have to apply, but that's a little comfort to the families of his victims, still deeply grieving. I think
4: of my daughter every single day, but I don't want to think of Robert Picton every day.
0: Adam, you may have more background than, than Paul and I in relation to the kind of the legal processes that are at play here, but people are disgusted that he's even eligible for day parole, although he hasn't applied yet, and it's very unlikely he'd ever get it. But why is this a big deal? Why are people talking about this?
1: Such a troubling thing. We saw this, and geez, what was the reporter's name? It almost sounded like Bernardo. I was thinking of Paul Bernardo in his case, and you know, he's the eligibility for, mm-hmm. for parole. And it's so troubling to the families to have to go back every couple of years and face that. Mm-hmm. Now, Robert Pickton, it's see it's so crazy. It doesn't seem like it's been that long. Yeah, I was shocked it, when I heard it, this. I yeah. thought it was a some reason, it felt like a fresher story, like time flies by. Mm. But this guy, he was convicted of a six uh, counts of second-degree murder. There were many other trials scheduled. Like People, if they don't remember, there were many other trials scheduled. Picton, and, and they were all complicated because they involved DNA evidence and all this search stuff, and Picton was pleading not guilty. He was straight, you know, dragging things out. And so once they got up to life in prison – and, like, there was 20 other cases. There were 20 other first-degree murder charges laid against him, and they just stayed them because there was no point. Everybody kind of knew or seemed to know at the po- at the time, this guy's never getting out of jail, no matter what. Like, it was just so bad, uh, so egregious. He is – doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. And so they they didn't even proceed with these other cases because it was just a waste of court time. If he applies, he has zero chance of getting out, but it does – you know, it, it does involve the participation of the victims and the families. Yeah. Uh, you know, nobody wants to see that.
0: Yeah. And as you said, there convicted of six. He was going to be tried on 26 and he, uh, I, I believe he admitted the 49. I think there's like yeah. a video of him talking to a cellmate or something where he says, yeah. I think, I think it's that's where it came from. He said, he believed that his total was at 49 victims. So this is the worst mm-hmm. of the worst serial killer that involves preying on, Homeless, drug addicted and sex workers involves feeding them to their, to his pigs at his pig farm. Like the worst of the worst. Uh, I can understand why people are shocked about the day parole application, but it just seems like, you know, if if trying those other 20 cases was a waste of court's time fielding day parole applications from this guy is also a waste of everybody's time. Big
1: time. Like you would, you would think you would, you would hope that there would be some mechanism there. There isn't really. I mean, the, the, parole board would still have to consider whatever evidence. And of course, they're gonna receive evidence. So, you know, it's not like they need to put in top effort every time necessarily, but you don't want to take chances. You want to put out a strong case and make sure the parole board has evidence before it to, where they can make a decision. So yeah, it's a it's a difficult situation for everybody involved on the on the victim side.
3: I think that I agree with Adam. He's not getting out. I know parole officers; they say he's not getting out. But even if he, you know, even though they stayed the charges, they discontinued those cases. I would think that if he ever had a chance of getting out, they probably got files on twenty or thirty cases that they could charge him with again. There's no statute of limitations for murder, so if he ever did get out, they could
1: charge him with something else, couldn't they, Adam? They have uh, apparently 33 uh, different uh, DNA. You know, they found DNA from 33 different people on his farm. They charged him with 26 murders. So uh, there would be other ones. A stay is, uh, lasts a year. And within that year, you can bring it back. So those specific charges, uh, they wouldn't be able to. But I'm sure there are others. But regardless, it's it's not going to be an issue. Because he's, like I said, he's, he's never getting out. Uh, there's no... Miraculous reform that's going to take place with him that's going to change the way anybody feels about him. Uh, so, yeah, he's
3: it. It just bothers economic. me, as I, you know, as, as I've said before, the breathless reporting. Uh, you know, this is what the news uh, uh, meet the media calls news. They're not digging for anything. They're not really challenging, uh, you know, the official narratives. They're not doing any real investigative reporting. They're sitting there doing cheap cheap emotional stuff getting people whipped up and then moving on to the next thing.
1: Well, here's something Paul that's not there it was any a uh, comment from uh Picton or his lawyer to suggest one way or the other whether he's intending to apply for parole, right? And of course, they, maybe they don't want that quote because if the if the answer is no, then they don't have a story to publish and they have, they want to publish that story but
3: Absolutely. It was not like there. some report it's like some reporter was sitting in the newsroom with on their calendar, uh, Robert Picton's going to get parole uh, in uh, 2024. Uh, that'll be a good slow news day story to jump on then. I've seen it before. That's the way it works. I find that, you know, the way that, you know, and I've expressed this before, people watch the media and actually uh, get caught up in this crap and don't challenge the media for doing bullshit stories. And this is another one.
1: You know, Picton uh, had, of course, the reputation of being evil. I don't know if he had the reputation of being, you know, clever or any anything in that way, but one thing he, you know the most evil thing in a way to do would not ever to be apply for parole. you know, uh, at least if he if he does it once, <laughs> as weird as it seems in a way, it gives people a chance to vent on him and, you know, just unleash the the hurt and the anger that they might have uh one time and and process it in that sense um but i i suspect he won't even give people that opportunity
0: i i don't know the story as well as i should i i find it so dark and depressing anytime i got it, it like read anything you know in detail about uh about his story it's just like it seems like just the darkest most evil vile stuff took place on that pig and, farm and
3: and the more you read it
0: it shows you how poor the
3: RCMP were. Yeah, because it went on for this ages, all right? happened in an RCMP jurisdiction, and they never. There's no communication between the police forces, and the RCMP never took it seriously. And it went on and on and on and on. And, on. and uh, of course, at the end of the day, all the Mounties got promoted.
1: But uh, well, well, there, there's a big there's a battle now, Paul, about the evidence that resulted from it right and of course some of it is biological and it's deteriorating and whatever they but they want to dispose of it and the families and other people interested in the case are are against that because they still hold out hope that there will be some inquiry like examination of the facts and the response from the police but it doesn't seem like that's doesn't seem like that's on the horizon
3: that refresh my memory there was an inquiry and the uh, former justice minister in bc Wally Opal did a 1,448 page report. That's right. with, With 63 recommendations. So, this is 2012, and it shows you how recommendations really matter from these inquiries. One of his top recommendations was get the RCMP out of contract policing and establish a greater Vancouver regional police force. That was his recommendation 12 years ago, and the RCMP is still fighting tooth and nail to hold on to Surrey and everywhere else. And there's all kinds of doubt about how to move forward without the RCMP. Opal was the attorney general, former attorney general in BC. He saw the problem, uh, recommended what should be done, and we're sitting here 12 years later, and
0: it's still has screwed up as own. I don't know how closely either of you are following this. This was just kind of like a blip in the media, but there must be some story to this. Uh, I'm just going to read you a little bit about it here. The RCMP is dealing with what it is calling a cyber event, targeting its network, and has launched a criminal investigation into the breach. In a statement, the force says, the situation is evolving quickly, but at this time there is no impact on RCMP operations and no known threat to the safety and security of Canadians. While a branch of, while a breach of this magnitude is alarming, the quick work and mitigation strategies put in place demonstrate the significant steps the RCMP has taken to detect and prevent these types of threats. The nature of the event or breach is unclear at this point. So to me, uh, as a layman, it sounds like the RCMP got hacked.
1: Yeah, read between the law. All right, so listen to the language carefully there, you know, they, they don't know the extent of it. They're taking mitigation efforts, which means the attack happened, and they're trying to make it. They're not trying to reverse it; they're trying to make it not so bad, you know. So they they don't really seem to know what took place here. I mean, my my experience with any uh, with the RCP system when the Desmond Inquiry looking at the the way that firearm systems didn't really interact. I mean, you're looking, geez, this not very sophisticated. Uh, database systems they have going on here. So I wonder how sophisticated their overall systems are, and how you know they can withstand these kind of attacks.
3: They're not very sophisticated. Um, they're poorly managed, and God, what is anyone going to find in RCMP files? They don't actually make cases. I don't know what they're going to do. I mean, you know, like if you look at major cases in the last twenty years. What's a major case the RCMP has made? Mm, Not very many. Uh, So there's not a lot to find there.
0: It's certainly a big step up from like, you know, you hear these cases or these stories where like it's a hospital or a school or university or something is hacked and they want, you know, they're holding their accounts for ransom. I think it's different when it's the RCMP. And especially as the RCMP seems to be slowly taking the role on of, um, you know, the Canada's FBI or something of that nature. They 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 shouldn't this shouldn't happen to the RCMP. And I think it has to be bad if it's at the point that they're issuing public statements about it. You think they would oh, yeah. be more quick to just kind of hide and deal with it?
3: Well, as Adam said, how long has this been going on for, and what's at stake? I mean, it's so the RCMP does not admit to anything unless it's really really bad and they're in a corner because that makes them look bad and you know uh protect the buffalo is their mandate you know protect the buffalo and don't make the rcmp look bad so it must be really bad for them to say anything
0: yeah I, by the time a, a story of a hacking or cyber event becomes public i got always in my mind i'm like that's they're they're panicking in there if it's at this point and they just want well, to get. there could of be it.
1: investigative files uh you know databases of who whoever, whoever you know sources it could be all kinds of things at risk you know the well the even uh, like a
0: list of office uh, like uh, of current officers and their home addresses or something yeah. there's a lot of people who would be interested in that
3: well one of the problems and we've talked about this in the past the rcmp um you know has lowered its standards for hiring. It has people with criminal records working within the organization. We know uh, organized crime groups like the Hells Angels and others have infiltrated government and the RCMP. They know that. It's as porous as hell um, because the standards have dropped so much and they've allowed uh, the threat inside their doors. So yeah, these problems are gonna happen.
0: It, it surprises me to see it in the news and uh, with not a lot of information about what's actually going on. People should be concerned. I would think. Um, but anyway, let's start wrapping this up for the night. But before we do, I want to hear about, it's been a little bit since we did a show. So I want to hear what you're working on, what's coming next, what you want to learn about. Uh, let's start with you, Palango, because I know you're up to your neck in your latest book. So certainly you got, uh You could use a hand. Um, Let me see. I'll green the magic
3: pumpkin out. Oh, shoot. (laughs) Magic pumpkin is here. I'm looking into the future. And the magic
0: pumpkin says, shut your mouth, Paul. Uh (laughs) Okay, that's strong-willed. You have something and you do not want to talk about it, and I can respect that.
1: The magic pumpkin reflects Paul's screen and I don't see us on there. I just I only see him.
0: (laughs) (laughs) He just full screens
1: himself.
3: No, it's, um, (laughs) things are going really well. Um, it's taken up a lot of my time. Um, and I think people are going to
0: be, um,
3: rather surprised about what I've
0: done. I like that that's what it should be on the back of the book uh how about you mr rogers i i get that uh, at the beginning of the show you talked about some stuff that may be coming up to uh turn your life upside down what else what else going on working on any interesting cases um, or any projects personally
1: yeah i've got uh i had a good week I, I had a couple of decisions that went my way and like i say as a defense lawyer you can't always uh be too excited about those things, but they they went well. But I did a Rogers brief again still this week, and it's some interesting stuff. One is uh, kind of a fun thing, but in BC, they now have legislation on uh, divorce and separations dealing with pets. Uh, Pets, uh, of course, would be one of the top things people would want to fight over when they're getting separated, but there was not much guidance in what happens. Uh, BC now has legislation treating a pet more like a child than That's a, a vehicle. A ve- you know, it's not just who bought it and who pay, you know, who pays the bills. It's who who cares for it and looking all all that stuff. But the other thing is I'm I'm starting to follow this foreign interference inquiry in Ottawa a little bit, this election interference stuff. It's starting, you know, they're looking at some national security uh sensitive information trying to deal with that. It's Chinese, Russian, and uh, Indian government and entities interference. But there's a couple of Chinese groups that were involved in the inquiry who are now have now pulled out of it because they're concerned that some of the other participants who were suspected of being connected to the Chinese government are actually connected to the Chinese government and they're getting all this secret information that the inquiry is revealing. And so anyway, there's... There seems to be a lot going on with that inquiry, except it's quiet because so, so much of it is, is secret information.
0: Secret mm-hmm. testimony. Anyway, we'll start uh, wrapping this up. Anything else either of you want to get into or say before we uh, put a ball? Uh, on this I one? have one thing, sir. Teacher, teacher. All right, Mister Bob, uh, Mister Polanco in the back.
3: Um, since I since I've uh, spent the lights and we've all sort of spent many years now on uh the Portopic Massacres and the Mass Casualty Commission. And, and I, I am now writing my second book on this. Um there is a apparent, you know, there is a uh a, a, a statement that or a reality I guess that the mat, the website of the Mass Casualty Commission is going to be take down da- taken down and archived probably uh in April or later and archived within the Privy Council office and of uh, uh, this year
0: is, the, is when yeah. you
3: expect this? Is it this year, I think. Um, and I think this is a real issue or should be an issue because one of the things I'm doing in my book is is going through the mass casualty site. And you have to understand that it's the way it was set up was to make it as difficult as possible for you to find anything out and report on it the Mass Casualty Commission final report was seven volumes, and I calculated about a million words with some graphics and stuff like that. But a million words? You can't search it. You can't copy it. You have to read everything. And then if you get into the documentary evidence, the so-called foundational papers and whatever, I estimate there's another two million words, three million words. Very difficult to get through. And... Almost incomprehensible, and one of the things I'm doing in this book is making things as comprehensible as possible. And I suspect that when it does come out, probably later this year or whatever, um, people will want to go back and look at this and for themselves and see what I'm talking about. And I think it should be an issue, but I don't know how to what steps we or anyone could take to keep this up. You know, do we have to do a fundraiser? Can we get an injunction? Can we get an extension? Because I think it's in the public interest that people will be able to understand what's going on. Because it's very difficult to understand unless you
0: have a map. And one of the things I'm doing is providing a map. I'm kind of surprised they would take it down, given how much money they spent on on the inquiry. Uh, the the practical op. Um, options would be like to have someone scrape the site and just have the stuff archived somewhere else or in a folder somewhere that people can access it but that it seems like that's un, unnecessary there should well be it's some pretty difficult
3: to do you can't you can't the uh, you know you always basically have to take a screenshot of every page mm-hmm. um, and what i what i've seen from what i've seen it's it's very difficult to maneuver around the site and deliberately so
0: yeah, and that and another thing though is even if you did have like say just as an example like or, or just to speak like a screenshot of every page that doesn't give you the the hot links that are embedded in it that bring you from one section to another like it kind yeah. of I'm not even gonna say it works as a website but we can use it as a website if you just had every page printed for one you'd have a room full of papers but there would also be no easy way to to sort them so well I think,
3: maybe maybe the guy with the privy council office which seems to be running this. Might say, uh, okay, we're gonna open it up for a week, and everyone can copy what they want and uh, replicate things if they want, or whatever. you know there's there's gotta be some way around this or keep it up and uh, you know give people time to go through it. Yeah, it's been there for uh a year, uh coming up to a year, eleven months, but it's not long enough for the amount of content there. And the way it was um, uh, displayed makes it difficult to understand what happened. And I think it's going to take more time for people to fully appreciate the nuances of what happened.
1: Well, it all makes perfect sense. How about this? Okay, I think the decision would be the provincial and federal government, you know, justice departments jointly because they, well, they, they both called jointly the inquiry. Why not like a five-year mandate or something that's tied to this implementation committee that, you know, while they're still meeting and the mandates have yet to be fulfilled and all that stuff, uh, keep it up. I mean, it doesn't have to be forever and ever, but it should be a substantive length of time so that, that allows people to research it and use it as uh, as you're talking about.
3: You're hired. That's, that's a good, good point.
0: Yeah, that's good. Well, it, it helps
1: that's a add
3: –
0: as the committee is doing the work it's doing as we're waiting to see the recommendations be carried through having all of this publicly available can allow context to be given to everything else that's happening so that's the way to to argue this that's a it sounds like a politician slash lawyer over here i'm pointing at you adam
1: (laughs) (laughs) i think so well i mean if i was if i was in that position that was what i would say and make sure it it. <laughs> it only makes well, sense you. It's the, anyway you ought to be you know whatever but that's one of the reasons you try to get into politics right is to you know, like you see all these things you're like well shouldn't it be like this and then you're like well let's get in there and make those
3: decisions so what's your recommendation here mr lawyer uh ad-
1: advocate to the committee the implementation committee to uh pressure the governments to leave it open i and think maybe that's the, any
3: families yeah. listening here uh sure some of them would see it as a good thing. And I think they should be the ones, you know, if the families come forward, then I think that, uh, and, and some of the interested parties come forward, this might happen. Put pressure on the government to do the right thing and keep the website up, at least till the implementation committee has done its work three years down the
0: road. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really good idea. Yeah. Something's got to give. I think it's the right thing. All right. Well, let's wrap this up, fellas. I appreciate another... Uh, great conversation on Sunday night. Let's have another one next Sunday. See you later. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thanks. I want to thank you for joining Adam, Paul, and myself for this discussion. If you have any thoughts or opinions on any of the stories we discussed this week, or have any topics you'd like to recommend for future episodes, please share them with us in a voice memo sent at nighttimepodcast.com slash contact. Additionally, If you'd like to join us for the live recordings, they're broadcast every Sunday night at 8.15pm Eastern Time on the Nighttime Podcast YouTube channel. We'd love to have you with us. Now, I'm going to wrap up this episode, but before I do, let me give some thanks. First, a big thanks to Paul and Adam for sharing another evening with me and with you, the listeners of Nighttime. I'd like to thank LJ from the Dystopian Simulation Podcast, who provides the intro and outro voiceovers, and Monty Data, who contributes the music for this episode. And then lastly, but most importantly, a massive thank you goes out to each and every one of you listening to Nighttime, as without your interest and your support, this show would be as pointless as it would be impossible. Now on the topic of support, let me thank the newest subscribers to the Premium Feed. Melissa, Lauren, and Ryan, thank you for your support. And for anyone else who'd like to support the show, you can help us out here in a variety of ways. First of all, a Premium Feed subscription costs just a couple dollars a month, and that money funds the creation of the show, but the premium feed also gives you the episodes two days early, gives them to you ad-free, and gives you access to a full back catalog of every nighttime episode. If that sounds like something you're interested in, you can go premium at patreon.com nighttimepodcast And even if you don't want to go premium, you can still help the show grow by simply sharing this episode on social media and letting all your like-minded friends know what we're doing here. Your support is very much appreciated. So with all that said, until next time, take care of each other, hug your loved ones tight, and let me know if you see anything weird.
2: The Nighttime Podcast is written, hosted, and produced by Jordan Bonaparte.